the VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 714, recorded on February 21st, 714th edition of the TV Gaming Podcast, a 547th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I'm TJ Denzer. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Yeah. Scott may join later. Um, I've really got to get this recorded because I sleep soon. Uh, last week's episode was really, really short. It was less than 30 minutes, but then again, there wasn't really much to talk about. At least today we had the Nintendo Direct, so there's stuff to talk about. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff announced today in in kind of just kind of all over the place as far as the big three go. Yeah. Um, um, so we'll talk about what we've been, I've been playing. Uh, I finally beat uh, Cult of the Lamb. And um, yeah? I, yeah, it's a really fun game for those who don't know. It's basically a city management game mixed with the Binding of Isaac. So I was surprised I, I beat the game because um, the final boss was basically just a bullet hell shooter, and I just had the right powers that I could deflect the bullets. So it's like it became easier than some of the bosses I had to deal with. Um, and a kind of amusing ending, too, uh, in which the big bad becomes a member of your cult against his will. And you can force him to marry him, too. Marry you, <laughs> so, um For those of you who want to try it, I wholeheartedly say give it a go. You might really enjoy it. Yeah, I've I've heard nothing but good things from folks that played uh, Cult of the Lamb, and it looks like the the updates and DLC they've done for it over time have just made it better. Yeah. Like, it's it's been a while since we've had like the constant updates for uh, for um, Binding of Isaac. So like, Cult of the Lamb kind of taking up its place in a time when Binding well Binding of Isaac had its time in the sun, and I think that Cult of the Lamb is a good like. Well, I would say evolution on, uh, on what they did with that. Here's the other thing. The, the Cult of the Lamb is much, much, much cheaper than The Binding of Isaac, too. Because <laughs> if you get The Binding of Isaac, I forgot the name of it, which includes all the expansions, something like $80 or $70, something like that. The Cult of the Lamb is just 30 bucks, And you're rarely going to see it for 30 bucks. You're going to see it for much less because, you know, it's often discounted. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, I mean, the game has been... Just it's fu- it's fun, it's silly, and I actually kind of like the social media they do for it. It's really funny. Well, keep in mind this is a Devolver Digital game, so you have to expect that. Um, I was gonna start the uh, Persona Three Reload. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I will at some point. Um, I think I, I get the impression that would this would be a very good entry point for a lot of people with Persona. Yeah. Um, Persona 3 is maybe my favorite story out of the Persona franchise so far. I think uh, the characters in Persona 3 were really special, were really cool. Uh, you had a lot of uh, characters that, like, you had, like, this story that, like, formed a lot of people's beginnings for this series. Like, a lot of folks, 
I would say the majority of folks came in at Persona 5. A good chunk of folks came in at Persona 4. And then, like, the really dedicated started at Persona 3, I think. Um, Not to take anything away from any of the others, I think Persona 4 and 5 are great. I just think that Persona 3 is a bit better as far as the story goes. Yeah. And we have some Shin It's always hard to pronounce that name. Shin Megami Tensei was part of the Nintendo Direct. For those who don't know, Persona is a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei. Yes. Yeah. And um, they did a great job of, like, updating the thing, uh, uh, updating it and, like, giving it Persona 5 sensibilities because Persona 3 didn't age very well as far as, like, its UI and and uh, and and aesthetics. So to see it in the Persona 5 style with, like, just a sheer big old coat of paint that makes it look stylish and cool like that is really fun. Plus, uh, a lot of the stuff that made Persona 3 great in the first place is still there, and I hope that uh, a certain secret battle is still waiting at the end. <laughs> there is a super boss in Persona 3 that is, like, the most ridiculous, over-the-top, difficult, and, <coughs> I, I would argue, unnecessary fight that you have ever seen in, a, in an RPG. A few complaints I've had, I've seen about Persona 3 Reload is that um, the story is a little bit changed, and they took out some stuff, you know, which upset some people. Um, but then again, you know, you have an entire revamping of it so that you have um, all new uh, cutscenes that that are really high resolution. Yes, and um, yeah, I, I this is a game I, I was really like trying to figure out where I was going to go first because I want to get Helldivers too. I also want to get Persona 3, and I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> no. Uh, Persona 3 is the longer thing. <laughs> but sure. then Helldivers Hell is, a, is a completely different type of game. Uh, speaking of which, yeah. what have you been playing? I was playing Pacific Drive for like two weeks okay. uh, leading up to its review. And uh, wow, what a game. So... Uh, this is a indie game from uh, Ironwood Studios. It uh it's about a sci-fi alternate version of the of the Olympic Peninsula up in the northwest United States. Um essentially the idea is that like some science experiments happened there, they went horribly wrong and uh, affected the entire area and the government put up a giant wall around the area that kept everything out and everything in. You're a nameless Nobody, you're a nameless somebody that, that ends up trying to explore, like trying to get a peek at it. And some mysterious force sucks you inside the zone through the wall. And then you have to run for your life from a radioactive storm and you find a junky old station wagon that basically serves as your getaway car. Only once you get to safety, it turns out that uh that car that you picked up is something called a remnant, which is like a... <laughs> It's like an anomalous existence inside the zone that bonds with living things and slowly drives them insane and melts their brain until they just wander off with the remnant and disappear. So in addition to trying to get out of the zone or yeah, the, the exclusion zone, you're also trying to figure out how to debond from this station wagon. So it doesn't melt your brain. 
And on the other side, you have to, like, repair it and keep it up uh, upkept because the zone is super dangerous. They're, like, anomalies, like these weird creatures that are – and not even necessarily creatures, but just kind of – sometimes it will be a swirl of something that will, like, make all the electricity inside the station wagon malfunction or, like, these floating piles of scrap that will throw a tether on the, the car and try to drag it around or just, like, a buzzsaw that's going back and forth in the ground. And – if you don't want to get caught by any of these things, so the station wagon is kind of your best bet to navigate the zone and uh, get out of it while it's slowly killing you. It's a ridiculous and, and interesting survival sci-fi sim, and I had a blast with it just like the whole time. That reminds me, uh, have you ever heard of a game called My Summer Car? I have not. It's been in early access since 2016. And basically, the entire game is you getting uh, your uncle's car and, it's like, falling apart, and you have to maintain it and drive around in it. And there's, like, a billion mods that, I've, that I have had to do for Game Watcher for that, for that game. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you have to drive around Finland. It's just just strange game. That does sound similar because you like every single part of this car is like detachable and replaceable and upgradable. You can take off the doors, the panels, the windows, the hood, the, the engine, the wheels. And you can also like load up racks on the side and top of it and put like interesting new equipment on once you get yeah, once you get upgraded like uh like you can you can get a, a a spare fuel tank that will like that will like add fuel to your overall gauge and uh, attach it to the side of the car. You can also attach extra storage to it and and battery and other other stuff like floodlights. It's really cool how much you get to like fiddle with the car once you get back to a safe area. Yeah. In my summer car you can just do whatever you want with it. You can even make it into a rally car. <laughs> Participate in rally competitions, or you know, or just fix it to fix it so it's back in factory. Can it's just weird. Uh, from my understanding, you could also die if you do some if you do wrong things with it. <laughs> but the funny thing, it's been early, early access for eight years, and yet still very positive on Steam. Just, that is a long time. Yeah, it's one of those games which you wonder if they'll ever finish it. But then it has so much mod support. I don't know if they need to. Yeah. Anyways, um, before we get into quick news, um, what have you been playing? I told you. Wait. Call to the Lamb. I just finished it. Oh, that's. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was my bad. Um, something's going on with the Cap uh, Capcom competition. Right. So Capcom Cup is uh, running this week. It's actually running right now from here until uh, Sunday. And this is the one where they're going to, like, basically 48 players that qualified for this thing are fighting it out and going to take their piece of a $2 million prize pool with the first place player getting $1 million of it. That is so much money for a competition. Which and game are they doing? Is it for Street Fighter or? This is Street Fighter Six. This was the year that they switched to it. It's kind of their flagship year, so that they wanted to go big. And... uh Man, you have a a lot of uh of just highly skilled slayers in there, like Mina RD and uh and Angry Bird, the two people that were in the finals at Evo 2023 are in there. 
Um, there's also Problem X, who uh, won the last chance qualifier and was a winner of Street Fighter V at Evo in 2018. There's a lot of other pretty strong players like Kaba. Uh, uh, sorry, I uh, there's there's just a there's a ton of great players in there, and uh, and just like the the competition has been great so far. There's been a lot of upsets in there already. We're seeing uh, some of the best players in the world get stepped on by some of the some of the newcomers, new blood in the game, and it's just wild to see like what kind of what kind of skills people are putting out there as they battle this out because it's it's a lot of money on the line that could like make or break your year. You could like basically win Capcom Cup and not have to work for the next four years. <laughs> I, I guess you're just waiting for the uh, Tekken competition. Yeah, because like they also announced that we're going to get a new Tekken World Tour that's going to be working on Tekken Eight, and um, I've been playing my butt off with the uh, with uh, Kuma the bear. I uh, I've gotten pretty high up there in rank. I'm in I'm in the purple tier, which is uh, two tier two color tiers down from the highest ranks. You know, you could Still just you could just play and wear a really uh, you know nice uh, white cardigan sweater and just go playing as the bear. Playing the bear. <laughs> I came up with an ex- with an aesthetic for him. I put him in a I put a Groucho Marx uh, mustache and uh, glasses on him, a tiny hat and a t shirt, with the idea being that he he's still a bear, but he doesn't want you to know he's a bear. He's just a regular human dude <laughs> that happens to be super large and hairy. So Scott, what have you been playing? I've finished up uh, Charles Reverie. So now I'm trying out the demo of the Unicorn Overlord game. Yeah, we'll be ta- um, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. <laughs> okay, but uh, that's it. That's all you've been playing. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we have some quick news. Um, Helldivers Two was built on an obscure Swedish engine, discontinued in 2018, and uh, they said that their crazy engineers had to do everything with no support. Uh, the engine was called BitSquid. Now it's called Stingray. Uh, it was used in a handful of notable Swedish indies in the early 2010s. Uh, one of the games released using the Stingray was Fat Shark's uh, Warhammer 40,000 Darktide back in 2022. So it's interesting. You know, most engines are using Unreal or uh, Unity, and this one just used one that, you know, a, a, a provincial one from Finland. And, uh, you know, how does it look? How does Helldivers uh, 2 look to you? It looks gorgeous. It's an incredible step above uh, Helldivers 1, which was an isometric uh, game, like all isometric. It never you didn't have the camera behind your shoulder. So like what you end up getting with Helldivers 2 is you get like a much more like in there, like down on the ground, facing down these gigantic insects that are coming down on you. And like there are some that are just like the size of dogs or, or wild pigs, but there are also some that are the size of trucks and some that are the size of small buildings and some that are the size of large buildings. And I just like the scale of what they've done in, in Helldivers 2 over Helldivers 1, especially with like the weapons and the uh, equipment that you can call down, like orbital strikes and 500 kilogram bombs. It's just hilarious what you can do in that game. Yeah, humor is a part of the game. Uh, is a baked-in part of the game, in fact, uh, from uh, according to developers. Um, yeah, and and like you, this game was Starship Troopers as a as a like inspiration on its on its sleeve. 
the game is has always been kind of a, a full on love letter to that, complete with like the over and like the over exuberant uh, patriotism. Wait, wait, are we talking about are we talking about Helldivers? Are we talking about Earth Defense Squad now? You know, they're not far different. And in, in fact, I'm gonna say Earth some blasphemy force, here. I'm sorry. I'm gonna say some blasphemy here. I think that Helldivers is what. Earth Defense Force would be if they occasionally innovated on Earth Defense Force. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the game sets June release date. Uh, this is Illphonic's latest effort, which is two years after its original reveal. I Do you have any... Uh, did you ever watch the original movie? Yes, I did. It's one of my favorites. Oh, okay. Um, the clowns look really good. At least they look really uh, like the clowns from the film. Yeah. The uh, the gadgets look really funny. The whole cotton candy uh, bulbs that they put people in their back. Um, I'm still not exactly sure. Like, I, I got a, a little glimpse of the gameplay, but I'm not sure how much the humans and the clowns actually fight each other if it's mostly the humans running away and trying to hide. You'd imagine that maybe Killer Clowns would have appeared in Dead by Daylight, but they wanted to have their own game. Yeah, there's a lot of cl- there's a lot of different clowns, and I think uh, people like that sort of aesthetic about them, is that you got the fat one, you got the tall one, you got the little one. Um, and... Uh, yeah, and they got like so many different weapons that if you had if you had to put them in uh, Dead by Daylight, you'd kind of have to like strip them down to just like one clown, one weapon, and that That's would true. be. I little... mean, look at what Injustice did with the with the turtles, though. Sure, but the clowns are so different from each other, whereas oh. the turtles can be kind of swappable. Nah, and they're not that swappable. I mean, Donatello's attacks are, are you know based on reach and you know airtime. While, um, you know, Mike, uh, Leonardo, you know, his, he's more of a, you know, he uses his swords in a completely different way. And Michelangelo's, uh, you know, use of his uh, skateboard is even weirder, too. Mm-hmm. Um, next news item, quick news item. Pokemon Presents a showcase announced for next week. The Pokemon Company <clears throat> will reveal what's next for the franchise on Pokemon Day. And this one's going to be very interesting because this one's coming with the context of Power World being out and basically just shaming Pokemon with, you know, how, uh, you know, retro, uh, not retro, but, you know, how much Pokemon has not changed while Power World is, is trying new things. You know, I haven't seen that much sentiment like that you're referring to in the gaming community. A lot of them seem to be uh more upset that uh pokemon company isn't suing power world you're talking to the wrong people you're talking to fanboys here you're talking to pokemon fanboys no uh what i've seen is a lot of people saying how why isn't pokemon evolving you know do it moving forward you know just from graphics alone you know the graphics of the last few pokemon games have been embarrassing like they just took the original scales and just tried to increase the size without actually trying to smooth out the textures or the resolution. It's sort of like upscaling, you know, sprite, you know, small, uh, you know, worse sprites. It's like trying to do upscale of 420p to 1080p and see what happens. So trust me, yeah. I mean, the Pokemon company is going to have to show something that's going to reignite interest. I mean, there's always going to be interest, but it's sort of like they're always banking on the new young kids to come in rather than, you know, sticking with fans as they, as they get older. The funniest thing is that like 
I think we're at a point where a lot of Pokemon fans don't necessarily want to see the next game so much as they want. They, they This has been a long time, but like Pokemon fans have been begging Nintendo and Game Freak to just take all the old games, all the Game Boy games, all the Game Boy Color games, all the Game Boy Advance games and throw them on the Nintendo Switch online. Like let them play like red, blue, yellow, platinum, silver, all the way up to like emerald and ruby. And I don't know. I wouldn't be mad about that. I would love to play some of the old Pokemon games here and there. Here's the thing. Last time Pokemon innovated, you had Pokemon Go, and that was a craze for a short, uh, for a hot minute too. So it's you know people want something different. They just don't want to do the same thing. Oh, we're going to Indigo City again. Yay. Oh, the same kind of battles. Yay. They want something. You know, they want to see some evolution. Yeah, at, at the very and least, like, they want to see better graphics. At the, you know, and it's like not—it's not even necessarily just better graphics. They just want to see a game that isn't broken and like glitchy and running at garbage frames and has clear like issues in its graphics that you can see rather plainly compared to other games that are out on the Switch. Like, if you put. If you put uh, Pokemon, which one was the last one? It was Violet, Scarlet and Violet. I thought if you put Scarlet and Violet up against like Breath of the Wild, (laughs) I don't want to put it up against the top tier, top tier because Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom are as bad as are about as good as a Switch game ends up looking. But even against Pokemon Arceus, like Scarlet and Violet don't even look as good as the game that came out right before them. And I think Arceus was even more a little a little bit more innovative in its in its style. I thought Arceus was actually pretty fun. Like, and I don't like I don't fault them for going back to formula because like that that is the formula. You go around the world and you fight eight gym leaders and you fight the elite. Oh, wait a minute. That. Here's the thing. With the amount of money uh, that Pokemon makes, why shouldn't it look as good as Breath of the Wild? See, that's the entire point. The Pokemon company makes gobs of money on this, mostly from merchandising. And one of the things about Pokemon, as you notice, they get rounder and rounder because it's easier to make plush toys uh, based on round Pokemon. But the Pokemon company makes much more money than the people uh, of Zelda. They should, you know, they have they should be investing some of that money. But no, I mean, it's the bottom line. We just need to make enough Pokemon to make new plushies, and the plushies will sell, and that's what makes our money. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that. Like, Pokemon does print money, and so to a certain extent, it's kind of even more inexcusable. But they insist on sticking to this, like, short-term release schedule. Like, a Pokemon game every two years or so, which feels, for a game of that magnitude, just feels unsustainable on its own. Oh, there's Power World uh, coming to eat its lunch. Yeah, and I mean, like, you have to wonder, what would happen if Game Freak just, like, didn't release a game for maybe three or four years and then put out just the best Pokemon game you ever did see? Because Tears of the Kingdom took seven years to develop. That was, like, that was a long time they spent on that game. But Pokemon doesn't get that same benefit. It releases on a schedule, and that schedule is very tight. Because the game isn't what makes it money. It's everything associated with the game. The game is just there to introduce new Pokemon, and that's it. That's all it's, that's all it's used for. To add characters for the anime and for new plushies. Yeah, I don't think they particularly care about innovating Pokemon or making it uh, 
graphically equal to other games. They just want to, like Jonah said, just they just want to make their merchandise so they make the game as cheap as possible. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how if Power World continues because with these early access projects, you never know if they're just going to die upon release. You know, it's sort of like yeah, no one cares anymore. You know, we saw everything in early access. We don't care. Or if it explodes on release, like Baldur's Gate 3 did, you know? You never know with early access games. Yeah. It, like, even Power World isn't managing to, like, keep the steam, but it did challenge what was going on. It like, still has high current numbers. It's still just below Counter-Strike 2. Yeah. Like, people are still playing the game, for sure. And, um... And by the way, that's not even counting people who are playing it on Game Pass, you know. Yeah. Like, 183,000 people are playing Power World right now. That's a lot on of Steam. people. On Steam. But that, that's not... Uh, that doesn't include people on Xbox and, and uh, PC Game Pass. But that's still a yep. lot of people. Yep. So we'll see what happens when it actually is released. Um, and, you know, I, I like Game Pass helped you know, get a lot of people to play it who might not have wanted to buy early access because there's a lot of people who don't want to do early access, period. They, from a moral standpoint, but, you know, you know, I don't want to play a game that's not finished. Like my summer car, <laughs> which has been in early access for eight years. And, and Minecraft, which was in early access, God knows how many, what was it? Was it officially? No, it started in 2010. It was officially released in, what, 2017 or something like that? You know, when it was actually out of beta? Yeah, I remember that. When it came out of beta. I think that was the uh, big biome update. I think that was the release. Yeah. So, moving on to game news. Um, Nintendo Direct was today. Um, we can tackle this in any order you want. Uh, we'll go with the elephant in the room. Uh, Grounded and Pentiment are coming to Switch. Uh, two of the four mysterious Xbox titles are coming to to other consoles revealed. Uh, we also found out the other ones. Um, Grounded is coming to Switch on April 16th, while Pentiment comes out on February 22nd, which is tomorrow's recording of this date. Uh, later, uh, Hi-Fi Rush, Grounded, and Sea of Thieves are uh, added to PlayStation 4 and 5. And I find that the selection of titles very interesting. So the first thing is Grounded. Uh, one of the things that's that, that's really exciting about it is that it's going to have cross-platform play, which means everybody's going to play with each other, PC, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, and, and Switch. And um, uh, uh, Scott, I mean, not Scott, I mean, uh, TJ watched me play it uh, when it was in early access. And um, the one word I have to say about Ground is it's charming. It's charming. It's the most charming survival game you'll ever have. And the only thing it's not, uh, the only way it's not charming is if you're afraid of spiders. And then you have the arachnophobia mode, which actually to me is more scary, just having these gigantic blobs just coming at you. Um, so, and I actually posted uh, a couple of days ago, you know, I hope one of the multi-platform games that Microsoft makes is grounded, because that game deserves an audience. I mean, for a game that well made, and it's a survival game, and it, you know, it's like really beloved by everybody who plays it, but it doesn't have quite the mind share. I'm glad it's going to get the attention it deserves. Yeah, and like, Pentiment was a big favorite of a lot of my colleagues last year, and I well, know that... Y- I, uh, we're going to discuss Pentiment for a second. Let's just talk about Grounded. Oh, sure. 
um, Grounded is a blast too. Like these are both games that like Obsidian, they're not their main things. Obviously, uh, Obsidian is still pouring a lot of what it's gotten to avowed. But and also uh, the Outer Worlds too. Let's not forget about that. Sure, but these two games, like Grounded, Grounded's a blast. It's a it's a weird blast, and like they've added such cool stuff to it, like being able to turn some certain insects into pets if you want to, like you can like corral around your your base. Uh, being able to like use certain objects to fly to fly or float around. Um, <clears throat> I remember for a while like there wasn't much going on as far as the pond, and now the pond is just chock full of just like spiders and a dang old koi fish that'll eat you alive if you get too close. Yeah, well, I mean, done. Uh, yeah, incredible I mean, updates. The thing is that um. The game sort of uh, revealed what kind of game it was when you finally get into the Oak Tree Lab Laboratory and you're greeted by Burger, who's like straight out of a, a – it's it's such a kiddie game but with adult sensibilities in that it's – it's it, people say it's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, but it's more 80s adventure and it's like – it's like a story that's aimed at preteens but it's very adult in the gameplay – so it's sort of like you have this kitty aesthetic, but everything underneath it is like serious adult. And it has that strange, you know, that strange feeling, of, you know, the contrast between the two. Agreed. And like, it's downright terrifying at times. Like, like when wolf, wolf Spider sees you, you just say, run! Doesn't matter what weapon you have, just run. And, in, and sometimes even then it's too late because they're faster than you. And. You go around a corner and that thing is there and it sees you. It's like run and pray. <laughs> and then you actually run into the area which has poisonous gases and you die from from uh, from from asphyxiation. Yeah. Just uh, just that game. It's pretty incredible and also just strange. Like there are so many oddities in that game. Like as far as like, I don't want to drop too big of a spoiler, but you end up finding out that other characters at some point were also exploring the yard and uh well you have to um there's there's labs all over the place you know the the uh oak tree lab is the main one i found one up in the trees and i think i got there before i was supposed to because that i realized when i entered a certain area it's like oh shit this is the main end boss area i just stumbled into it there's no one here but i know what's going to happen if i do certain things and i had to get the hell out of there (laughs) like it's like you it's actually sort of breath of the wild you know you can go to uh ganondorf's place right away it's like five minutes away but you better be prepared yeah and like the sense that the people that came before you like they things did not work out for them is always just like a foreboding thing kind of hanging overhead yeah you expect to see little skeletons all over the place mm-hmm. <laughs> um but um do you want to talk about Pentiment? Yeah, so we'll talk about Pentiment. And um, there's something interesting about Pentiment when I realized why it's uh, why it's probably multi-platform. So Pentiment is basically um, it's a visual novel set in medieval. I mean, it's not it's more of an adventure. But here's the thing: nothing you do in it is going to change the story or break the story or make you lose. It's just you're going through this uh, this era and you're talking about stuff and everything is extremely historic, historically accurate. And it's a murder mystery, but it, you know, whoever you can you can accuse anybody. It, it really doesn't matter in the end. 
It's just that you're going through that you're, you're experiencing the story, and it's all it's a game that was developed by one person, and that's Josh Sawyer, who is very important to Obsidian in their history. Just Google Josh Sawyer, and you'll see. And I get the feeling that this is sort of a thank you to Josh Sawyer, in which Microsoft and Obsidian are saying, "Yeah, we we want people to play your game. At some point, we're just going to release it everywhere, you know, just because it deserves to be." And it's not a huge game, you know. It's not like it's not like they're releasing the Elder Scrolls, you know, or something like that. It's a tiny little game, but it's also one that is deceptively fun, and you wouldn't expect it to be. Just from the description, oh yeah, you're doing a visual novel in medieval and you're going around a church and you're talking about religious stuff and political stuff and you know and all that stuff. It, it's it's a very rich story. Yeah, I've yeah. played that game. I've been interested in it though, because um, Josh Sawyer has some uh, esoteric uh, hobbies and and likes, and he also likes to kind of. Um, from the nose at uh, expectations and, and, and just common themes in video games, especially like uh, when using swords, you know, everybody uses a sword. So in um, Plains Torment, he had people using other weapons like halberds and stuff. So you know, it doesn't really surprise me he came up with this game, which was, you know, very, you know, like unexpected, you know. So By the way, you know, you know what the fun part of this game is uh, if you play it? is that occasionally the um, – you see what happens is that uh, text will come out and it will be written – depending on who's speaking and what's being written, right, it, different types of handwriting. And sometimes it will stop and then erase it and then rewrite it because it misspelled something. It's sort of like, oops, made a spelling error or something like that and just rewrite it. It's like you see someone writing and then taking the eraser and going, no, 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 no. Oh, this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I never, I've never gotten the chance to sit down with Pentiment, but that game looks hilarious, and I feel like I want to someday when I have time. It is, it's sort of like um, Kingdom Come Deliverance, in which Kingdom Come Deliverance is a bad game. I mean, I hate it, but it takes place during the era of King Wenceslas, and it take, it, it's historically accurate, and you see very few games that try to do an accurate portrayal of medieval life. You know, that works really hard to do medieval life. Now, um, getting to the other games, we're going to have to discuss this. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush, I thought was going to be on the Switch. That is such a Switch game. I, it, I'm shocked it's not on the Switch. It most certainly feels like a lost, uh, lost opportunity. I also wonder, like, is the reason... <laughs> Is the reason we didn't see Hi-Fi Rush and Sea of Thieves on the Switch? Are they holding it for the next Switch? No, I think here's the thing. Um, well, Hi-Fi Rush maybe, but um, I think see here's the thing. Hi-Fi Rush was the baby of the of the guy who invented uh, Tangle Gameworks. I keep, keep forgetting his name, Hideo Kamiya. So um, that was his pet project. So I'm pretty sure that one of his last requests before he left uh, Tangle Gameworks is can you please release this on the PlayStation? Because I'd love for PlayStation players to, to play it. And Microsoft, sure, why not? We can we can get some more money for it. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush, as much... And there's so much uh, deviant art with uh, Hi-Fi Rush. It is, uh, it's one of those games in which it gets fans attached to the aesthetic. Um, I don't think it really got... It got Game of the Year, what's it called, calls back uh, last year, back last January... 
but it never really people never really saw it as a major game even though it is fun as hell it's like playing a dreamcast game that was never released right so i'm glad it's getting a new audience um hi-fi rush is a blast uh, it's it's basically the cuphead of 2022 2023 actually yeah. uh, i uh i think that i think that eventually sea of thieves and hi-fi rush end up making their way to a nintendo console i think that maybe switch gonna... to yeah <laughs> yeah uh sea of thieves it's very easy to know why that's going multi-platform it's a freaking live service game it's one yeah. of those games which you spell real life money for stuff so i i can see why um i hate sea of thieves and um, here's the thing. Here's why I hate it. I mean, it is an excellent seafaring uh, simulation, right? I really enjoy it. But there's so much griefing on the regular servers. It's unplayable if you just want to play by yourself. And then the solo servers are basically you can't join anybody else's thing. You just have to have a party and go. And it's like that sort of defeats the entire purpose. I just want a PVE thing in which people can't attack you unless you flag yourself that you do want to do PvP, like World of Warcraft, you know? Yeah. In, in regular Sea of Thieves, you know, I have my boat there, and just someone comes, uh, these group of people in their galley come over and just bomb the shit out of my boat while it's in the dock for no friggin' reason. That's not going to make me want to play the game, and the solo mode is so boring that I don't want to play that mode either. They just don't get it, which is why I'm not playing Sea of Thieves. Although I will say Sea of Thieves is 1,000, 1 million better than uh, Ubisoft's pirate game that just came out. <laughs> Skull and Bones. Yep, and it's getting terrible reviews as expected, because you think you see think you think Sea of Thieves monetizes. Jesus Christ, Skull and Bones monetizes like there's no tomorrow. And they call it a quadruple A game. Yeah, it's it's not even no no <laughs> no. It's an unfinished game. That's the other part of it. It's still unfinished. You know, people uh, people should have just told Ubisoft. You see uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, do that and make it multiplayer. That's all we want. Make it a, a multiplayer Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. That's all we want. <laughs> yeah. I watched people playing the, the ship combat and when you would, like, loot another ship. You don't actually take part in it. It's just a big no. old cutscene, and that's kind of a bummer. So, but. yeah, Sea of Thieves can go to hell, but um, I'm glad, you see, Microsoft wants more people to play it. So there you go. Sea of Thieves. Like I said, Sea of Thieves, if they had a better single, a solo or, you know, PvE version of it, I would play every day because it's entertaining as hell. Especially when you see, you're selling your ship and often you see someone being eaten up by a kraken and you just want to stop your ship and just watch through your binoculars and you wish you could have some popcorn to eat while you watch them deal with a kraken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is not everybody's fear that, oh no, it's older school. No, these are smaller, relatively small games. Pendiment, you know, is a very small game. Josh Sawyer made it and, you know, just make money on it. Uh, Hi-Fi Rush is an excellent game. It's my game of the year from last year. And I strongly suggest you play it if you can. Yeah. Ditto Grounded. Um, Scott, if you want, I, I say right now, do Grounded. It's Minecraft with spiders. You'll enjoy it. Well, Minecraft has spiders, but okay. No, these spiders will eat you. <laughs> these spiders are gigantic and scary. <laughs> you these see one, and it is. spots you, and it spots you. You might as well just just get ready to reload, respawn. These spiders are the size of uh, Minecraft dragons. Yeah. 
Oh, they also have baby spiders, so, but where there are baby spiders, the adults are nearby, too. But if you go into a space and you see webs, uh, what's called around, you just turn around and walk away silently. That's just exactly what the cave spiders in Minecraft. You see Mineshaft, and you see the clog with webs. Yeah, I'll say this, though. Minecraft doesn't have burger. So. <laughs> yeah, but it has creeps. Creepers. Yeah. No, <laughs> but Minecraft doesn't have friendly ants. Friendly, well, here's the thing. I... <sighs> Since the game was released, I found out something. If you're holding food, those ants will be very friendly until they steal the food from you. Yep, they'll take it right out of your hands. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they'll also try to take it out of your backpack if they... No, they, no that's what they do. They take it out of your backpack. And you don't want to make an enemy of the ants because there's a lot of them and they have an anthill and they will wreck you. If, if they decide mm-hmm. you're an enemy... And that's the other thing I like is that there is a, um, a simulation, uh, a biological simulation. Uh, thing, uh, you know, the... The animals and insects have their own purposes and they do their own stuff. And if you don't, if they don't see you, you'll see them doing stuff around the world that you know that they would normally do as insects, right? It isn't until, but it is an, it is fun when you have a red ant and he looks at you, he sees you for the first time, and he just gives you that dog one ear up, it's one t- antenna up, but he sort of like says, "Oh, hello." <laughs> like I said, it's charming as hell, uh, Scott. I, I, I strongly recommend you play Grounded. It's addictive. And it by the way, very good. I will and, say that as someone who's played Grounded and Minecraft, I uh, I think there is a lot of overlap, and I think that Grounded is a is a good version of that kind of game. Also, you see some okay. videos. Some people have made elaborate mansions and, and stuff in it because that's the other thing is crafting. You can create walls and and floors and you know and decorations and all that stuff. So people have had their own castles <laughs> at that point. Saying, don't you want to re-enlarge? Nah, I'm fine. Also, I, I have to stress this. The kids' personalities are great. Each kid has a different personality, and they all have different things to say while they're doing stuff. So, yeah, the kids are charming, too. Uh, For sure. Like, they actually talk, and they have conversations with each other when you're within... Well, actually, if they just come across different situations, too, they'll they'll just talk about them. And they all have different things they talk about. So that kind of adds more character to the game, too, when really, like... It can get really quiet and lonely in those games, but I like the I like the interactions between the kids. Yeah. Um, so we can move around. I, I, I'll discuss Disney Epic Mickey rebrushed, and I'll say that's a complete and utter waste of time. Epic Mickey sucked. I'm sorry. It's true. It sucked. It, there's so much it could have been, but it wasn't. Um, it's getting updated graphics. Who cares? Uh, getting, Mickey's getting new skills. Uh, have you played Epic Mickey? I've not played Epic Mickey. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. The original game was also super easy. I mean, if you haven't played it, try it, just so you can say you played it. And also, um, it's a game that reestablishes Oswald as a character. Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. So at least it has that benefit. For those who don't know, Oswald was Walt Disney's first creation, but uh, he could not maintain the rights to it. So he made Mickey as a replacement for Oswald. Yeah, he's like Proto Mickey, and I always thought that was an interesting thing about that game. It was just, uh, I think at the time I was kind of out of gaming at the time, and uh, I, Epic Mickey kind of came out in a time where I didn't have access to the platforms that it was on. Um, I'm really happy to see it back, and I also like this is like right after we just got another Mickey game that was like more like the recent shorts that have been coming out. So it's kind of a cool time to be a, a Disney platforming fan. 
Scott, do you want to talk about Ender Magnolia? I know that's your kind of game. <laughs> Let's see. Ender Magnolia, Bloom in the Mist. Yeah, that's the sequel to Ender, Ender, Ender Lilies. I don't think I've seen this one. I'll have to look it up real quick. Really? Because Ender Lilies was one of our nominees for Best RPG last year. Let's look this up. Oh, dear. It is your kind of game, you know. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, Metroidvania, isn't it, Ender Lilies? Oh, wait. Maybe I have seen this. Hold on. Yeah, if I remember correctly, this is a uh, this yeah. is a Metroidvania with, like, sort of gothic Lolita girls. Oh, yeah. I think I have. Yeah, I remember this now. So that's coming to Switch. That's good. Okay, so let's talk about Shin Megami Tensei Five Vengeance. Um, it's a remake, and it's going to have new stuff in it. And as we mentioned before, uh, if you're wondering where Persona came from, it comes from Shin Megami Tensei. Shin Megami Tensei is like its angrier older brother. And uh, Yeah, that, that's the other thing, is that Shin Megami Tensei players, the hardcore players... Consider Persona a baby game. That's too easy. It's that's... because Persona, in its general aesthetic, is so much more lighthearted. And Shin Megami Tensei is like... It's the same sort of like capturing demons and using them against other demons type thing. But uh, but Shin Megami Tensei is so much more dark and broody about it. But it's also it's that... also it's also a harder game, too. It's, it's, it's more difficult. Yeah. For one, you don't have a party in Shin Megami Tensei. You fight by yourself for the most part. Like, and uh, you still capture monsters and you use them, but like, you don't have three party members to rely on at any given time. If uh, if you lose, you if you lose that one party member, you lose. Um, Super Monkey's coming back. Super Monkey Ball Banana Rumble. Super Monkey Rumble. Ball Banana Rumble. And, and here's the thing: up- it's gonna it's gonna have a Fall Guys mode with multiplayer. Yes. That was one of the things I didn't like about Banana Mania is that it had it, they had all these party games, and you could play like local co-op in the in the main boards, but they didn't have any of that online. You couldn't do anything online, and it was during the pandemic, and it sucked that I couldn't play that game with anyone. Like it was, it, so I'm really happy. I'm really happy that that uh, Sega listened. And it is like made sure to mention online multiplayer in this game out of the gate. I love Super Monkey Ball. It's so stupid and fun. And very, very ridiculously hard on some of those stages. Like, I don't understand how some people can be so damn good at these games. But I still have fun playing them. Super Monkey Ball is. Well, so now you're going to be able to find out how people play, how good people are because you can play multiplayer with them. Mm hmm. I'm excited for that, to be honest, because, like, the party games that they showed alongside, like, the straight-up, like, race, looked like they were going to be fun. I want to play those games. They look great, and I want to play them with other people. Uh, World of Goo 2, it's going to be Switch-only. I played the original World of Goo, and this is back when the guys who made World of Goo did a radical thing, and they said, you pay what you want for the game. Pay anything. You can pay a penny if you want. Uh, for those who don't know, World of Goo is uh, basically a building game in which you connect uh, droplets of goo and they create these little uh, bridges or connections or whatever. And you have to do it so that it remains stable because this is goo, so it's going to – if it, you it, don't build it correctly, it's going to teeter over and, and collapse. Yeah, it could be quite challenging if you don't think of it, the physics of 
of the material you're building with, it's uh, really challenging trying to get build bridges and towers with it. But World of Goo, like I said, it, it was a it was a watershed because it was the first game that the way it was going to combat piracy was say, okay, it's going to be we're not going to have any um, any copy protection, and you just pay us what you want. They basically they ran it like itch.io, which is not a bad idea. Yeah, came out way back in two thousand eight. That's crazy, because that literally is the itch.io formula for a lot of folks. Like they'll they'll have like. Some games will have like a minimum price, but you can really just pay what you want if you feel like it. And uh, 2D Boy, uh, they made the only other game that they were made under the name of 2D, of, uh, 2D Boy was the Human Resource Machine. There's another interesting game in which uh, basically Lemmings for adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of the games you want to discuss? You want to discuss? Uh, How Mon- crazy is it? That they just straight up released Penny's Big Breakaway today. They didn't out of nowhere. Like they're just like, yeah, we have a release date for the game. It's today. Well, I mean, let's let, let's let's add some background to it. These are the guys who made Sonic Mania. You know, the fanboys of Sonic. Yeah, that's that's the that's the big thing. And like a lot of people are super excited for this game, myself included. I love Sonic Mania. I love the work they did on it, and also. It's super dope that they decided to head out with a, like a new IP and try a, a 3D platformer this time. Because if you really think about it, outside of Mario and like a couple others, there aren't a lot of people making quality 3D platformers anymore. And, uh, le- and definitely not like the cartoonish kind. Uh, Rare, is, Rare is busy with Sea of Thieves. <laughs> right. The, yeah, Rare would be the other one. But, like, between Rare and, Nint- and Nintendo, like, Rare is always working on Sea of Thieves content, and Nintendo can't release something like Mario Wonder every other month. So to see, like, these guys who already showed us they have a high pedigree of work step into the 3D platforming space, I'm excited. I'm going to buy this game. I'm going to play the shit out of it. I really want it to be good. I want it to be what Balan Wonderworld failed to be. Well, here's the thing. Um, the, uh, the other person you might think of who, who made really good uh, 3D you know, platformer would be Platonic, because they made ukulele. But then they just said, we're not going to make that kind of game. We're just going to do BPM now. Yeah. And, like, I just, I think it's so cool. Oh, I, I was wrong. They made Demon Turf. So they are yes. still making it. So, I mean... But it, I don't know. It, I, I hadn't heard of Demon Turf until recently, and it's like they're not, you know, Platonic. That's not their thing, you know. So yeah, and like the last thing that uh, Platonic did was they they made a pretty good uh, ukulele sequel. No, yeah, but, but that, was, that, that was that was that was a two D platformer. That that wasn't even a uh, yeah. 3D they, platformer. they and they kind of went the opposite direction of the Sega Sonic Mania team. They made a three D platformer, and then they went back to two D. Yeah. <laughs> the last game they but, did was Elsie. Uh, that was released like two years ago, and it's a another two D platformer. It looks like yeah. no, it's a it's a it's a roguelike. It's a two D roguelike. I really, 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 really hope Penny's Big Breakaway is as good as good (laughs) 
it's it's hard to get 3D platforming right if you're not a 3D platformer developer right from the get go. I mean, so by the way, Playtonic was was basically formed by the, a lot of the guys who did Banjo Tui, Banjo Kazooie. So, um, and I know you had to write the guide for uh, ukulele, didn't you? Yes. I actually found every single one of the puzzle pieces in each uh, so world, which I feel so was bad for you. One of the most difficult and painful <laughs> guide experiences of my life. That game, I knew that game like the back of my hand by the time I was done. Oh, by the way, Elsie wasn't even uh, developed by uh, Platonic. They actually uh, published it. So that apparently that's probably why Platonic isn't making a lot of 3D uh, platform games anymore because they're just publishing instead, like Team 17 does. Ironically, Team 17 uh, published Ukulele. Yeah. And, I mean, I didn't mind Ukulele. Even though, like, I had to do that guide, I didn't mind Ukulele. I think it's a good franchise. I'm just, I'm really happy to see this space is, uh, has some new uh, blood in it. And I hope that, uh, I hope that Penny's Big Breakaway ends up playing as good as it looks. Because it looks like a cartoon in motion. Speaking of Rare, um, they released a bunch of classic Rare games on Nintendo. Uh, Snake, Rattle and Roll, RC Pro-Am, Battletoads, Killer Instinct, and Blast Corps. And by the way, all these titles are not, you know, like... Battletoads and Killer Instinct are not the new reboot. They're the original, you know, ones that were released on Nintendo console. Yeah. I, I only remember RC Pro-Am really well. I played the shit out of RC Pro-Am when I was little. I love that game. It's so good. It's it, it's a much, like, more bite-sized version of, like, the, the arcade uh, off-road Pro-Am. But it's still super fun. And uh don't know much about Snake, Rattle, and Roll, but... I love Killer Instinct, and I love to see it getting so much recent love. Like this is uh, this is the original, obviously, and uh, but we also just saw an update for the uh, new one, the the 2000 what that 12. Um, that game got an update recently, and uh, there there there's a lot of word on the streets that they might be thinking about making another one. You know, I hope Killer Instinct sells really well because maybe that would influence Microsoft to make a season three. Yeah, or even just like Killer Instinct two, like Killer Instinct new Killer Instinct two. Yeah, they just make a new season. I mean, basically, season two was basically Killer Instinct two. I mean, it. You know, when they moved to the new developer, uh, Iron Galaxy, it's like they just took the mechanics of the game and said, "Watch us." make all new mechanics and just bend and stretch them and actually fit them so that they could play with the older characters as well. So very tricky job to do play balance wise, create new characters for a season two that play against the player characters of play uh, season one and give them all new abilities and yet still let it be a fair fight. Yeah. And either way, like I'm, I'm just, Getting more Killer Instinct and getting this much Killer Instinct in such a short time makes me think you got. There's got to be something going on. There's got to be something more than just doing this update. Because if they just wanted to do this update, I mean, why not any time within the last two or three years? I feel like Killer Instinct coming to Nintendo Switch Online right now, alongside this update happening, like. 
they I, I feel like you're I feel like you're right in your assumption that maybe they are getting ready for season three, because if they're applying this update to the original game, not the original game, but like the new the the new game, then that might be cause to believe that they're preparing it for new consoles so that they can put new content in it. You want to talk about Monster Hunter Stories, which is basically uh, bringing the the 3DS game to Switch, PlayStation 4, and Steam. This is a curious one because they already put Monster Hunter Stories 2 on the on the Nintendo Switch. So, like with this, you're kind of going backwards. I like Monster Hunter t- Stories 2. I think it's a great game. I don't know if I want to play a, a lesser version of it. I don't know if I, I guess a lesser version is unfair. It might have a really good story. It's just, you know, like they you go to the sequel and you innovate on that one and you might not get as many or like you. There's probably some things in the original that didn't age well. But then again, you know, they didn't have Banana Rumble. So. Yeah. Just thinking like it's it's interesting to get a game that's like the sequel of that game. And then after that game, after you put out the sequel, like years later, mind you. Then they go back and be like, hey, you want to play the one that came before that? Oh, okay. Um, so uh, we're going to move on. Uh, Elden Ring, Shadow of the Erd Tree from, will be from Software's largest expansion to date in terms of overall volume. And this comes from a PC gamer. In an interview with Eurogamer, the game director Hidetake Miyazaki said Shadow of the Erd Tree will be from Software's biggest expansion ever. Shadow of the uh, Erd Tree uh, will have be the large in, pure, in terms of pure surface area, you can think of something larger than even Limgrave in the base game. The expansion will take place in an all-new map with open-world areas and dungeons of various sorts, but the Shadow of Erd Tree will offer, quote-unquote, a denser and richer level design, which will bring those elements of the game world together a little more seamlessly. There, of course, will be a large open area, as he said, and there will, of course, be legacy dungeons, but we're also experimenting with something a little more in between these as well to bring more diverse exp- gameplay experience. Shadow of the Earth Tree will naturally feature new bosses, weapons, equipment, and skills for players to dig into, and plenty of, quote-unquote, challenging encounters and menacing threats to take on. And Miyazaki confirms that, yes, there will be a poison swamp. So if uh, you miss them from, uh, oh, God, from... My brain is is a uh, demon, not demon souls. What am I talking about, demon souls? Uh, uh, you know, um, soulsborns. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They always have a poison swamp with mushroom creatures. Anyways, uh, Kingdom uh, Elden Ring Shadow of the Eretria was set to arrive on June twenty first. So, uh, I know you're going on. You've been going on about this one, TJ. Yeah. So, two interesting things came out of this one. Um, we saw a a new boss, Michaela, which uh, if you played through uh, Elden Ring, Michaela is the twin bro of like the hardest optional boss in uh, in Elden Ring. Um, uh, what's her face? Uh, can't believe I forgot I Dark Souls. I can't remember her name right now. In any case, she's really ridiculously hard to defeat. And uh, she's completely optional. Um, she's like, if you if you beat her, like she, that's the one of the hardest challenges in the game, even over the end boss. And I just th- and like, so what is this guy gonna be like? 
he's the he's the twin of her. And moreover, I think that From Software has a very interesting opportunity here because of the relationship between those two characters. Michaela didn't appear in any part of of uh, Elden Ring, so like you never had a chance to go defeat him or anything like that. He's a completely new uh, encounter for this expansion, and so what I think would be wild is if like his you're gonna fight him. You're obviously gonna fight him. He's gonna be like one of the big bads of the expansion. I think it would be interesting if your fight with him changed on whether or not you defeated her, his sister in the base game. Like, maybe you'll have a normal boss battle with him if you never even ran into her because she was optional. Maybe he'll be, like, ridiculously more aggressive if you killed her in the base game and then you go to him. I think that uh, it would be super cool if they tried something like that. And uh, it would kind of play into the fact that there are consequences for actions in Soulsborne games. And that would be a very interesting consequence action type setup for, uh, for the long run. Finally, uh, Sony isn't happy with Bungie. And this comes to us also from PC Gamer. Uh, in a Q&A session with analysts following Sony's most recent financial report, PlayStation chairman Hiroki Totoki, Jesus Christ, your name, Hiroki Totoki, which is, sounds like a Disney character, Praise the creativity of Destiny 2 studio Bungie, but also say you want to see more accountability for development budgets and schedules from the studio's leadership. Uh, Sony acquired Bungie way back in January of 2022. Uh, blockbuster deal seen as in some ways as a counterpunch to Microsoft takeover of Activision Blizzard. Uh, yeah, that's like me eating a grain of sand while someone, you know, owns a cereal company. Um and the opportunity to add more live service games uh, know-how to the roster of PlayStation Studios. Wait, since when had Bungie had live service game know-how? Really? They had know-how on how to do a live service game? I mean, yeah, they had been doing Destiny until then, but that wasn't... I don't know. Uh, it was said at the time that Bungie would operate as an independent subsidiary with the freedom to remain multi-platform and self-publish and reach players wherever they choose to play. Bungie, in turn, said Sony unconditionally supports us in who uh, all we are as it begins our journey to become a global multimedia entertainment company. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, much as two years later, that relationship is showing signs of potential strain. A December 2023 report said Player 2 player numbers had declined. Uh, Destiny 2 player numbers had declined dramatically, while revenues were said to be running 45% below projections. Morale at the studio was also said to be in bad shape following layoffs in October. Bungie was also reportedly facing the possibility of a full takeover by uh, Sony, ending its functional independence. Satoki uh, stepped in as chairman from, in October 2023 at following retirement and will re- resume the role of interim CEO once Jim Ryan go bye-bye in April. Uh, Bungie blew a lot of gamer goodwill with its mishandling of layoffs, and then just a month later, delaying the big Destiny 2 expansion, the final shape from February to June 2024, pushing into Sony's next financial year. There may be a lot riding on it. Um, if they don't make the money, then, you know, they may lose their uh, independence. And it doesn't help that Helldivers 2 is basically eating Destiny 2's lunch. Yeah, I mean, like, I, from my understanding, there's actually been a word that uh some folks from Bungie actually came over to help work on uh Helldivers 2 a little bit. 
just because they do have an understanding of how to work at, at scale with a like a live service product and and dealing with them. one of the biggest things that's affecting Helldivers too right now is that the servers are not built to accept as many players as they're trying to play. Yeah. See, here's the Either thing. Way, I agree. Like this is this sucks for Bungie because it it really does look like Sony is going back on its word to leave Bungie to its own devices and let it handle things the way it's going to handle things. Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Did Sony not understand why Microsoft let Bungie go? Bungie has historically been terrible at deadlines. Or did you forget Halo 2? I mean, here's uh, for those who don't know, Halo 2 is not supposed to end with Master Chief saying he's going to finish the fight. No, it was supposed to be a big game. And there was a lot of features that were promised that were shown at E3 that never made it into the game. And they just had to cobble together Halo 2. Now, Halo 2 is considered a classic because it was also when matchmaking on a console was pitch perfect. I mean, it was, it was the best that anybody's ever seen. But Bungie had this terrible problem of lateness and not getting stuff done, which is one of the reasons why Microsoft said, hey, if you want to go, you can go. We'll just keep the Halo license. Yeah. And, like, you know, in the end, Bungie ended up finding its success elsewhere. It it got Destiny out the door. It got Destiny 2 out the door. And Well, the problem with the first Destiny was that EA crippled it. It was not the game that that Bungie wanted to release in the first place. Activision. Activision. Activision, I'm sorry. Yeah. Had them at that time. No, right. Uh, EA is Anthem. Which is a complete yeah. other story, <laughs> but um, but you're right. And then once they got out from under Activision, like Destiny Two, like became one of the most popular live service games in the world. And by and like far and away, by the way, like not even particularly close. That game has a fervently rabid fan base. I always thought it was boring though. I know, but there's like so many millions out there that don't, and they like will defend that game to the death. And because they play with friends, you know, I'm a I'm a it's, I'm a I'm a lone hermit. I don't like to play with others. I like to play and, around others, but not with others. And Destiny, like for people that play Destiny, it's like the only game they play. <laughs> well, here's the thing: since Borderlands shit its pants, what else are you gonna play, right? Yeah. And, but like this. This kind of sucks because it really does look like Sony is kind of going back on what it said, and uh, it there are, you can you can say that there's like mismanagement on the part of Bungie, but at the same time, like at the end of the day, it sounded like PlayStation agreed to let them do what they were going to do, and now they are, and now they might not have as much faith in Bungie as they, as when they started. That would be interesting because Microsoft, when they acquired Mojang, they did not pull Minecraft from everybody else's servers, right? If Sony owns Bungie and owns their properties, I wonder what they'll do with Destiny 2. Or maybe they'll just say, we're canceling Destiny 2, we're going to make a Destiny 3, and we're going to make it console exclusive. I don't think that they would do that with Destiny just because you risk making a lot more enemies by pulling it away from an entire Oh, Sony's done worse. Come on. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, but Marathon, Marathon doesn't have that kind of expectation. On it. it doesn't have the built-in player base. That's where they might do something like that, in my opinion. 
We'll see. But yeah, it still is a hell of uh, Bungie's own making. I mean, here's the thing. they I know a lot of people are complaining about how they were supposed to do the Mystery of the Veil, the Veil, the Veil, and it never came out. And then they had to do this tack-on stuff in which it was all explained in audio logs. Only, yeah. only Destiny 2 players know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we'll see what happens. It doesn't look cool. It doesn't look cool for Destiny. I think that the I think that the final shape might actually be a maker-breaker for them on, like, a drastic level. I don't know if it ends with the studio. I don't think Bungie closes, but, like, I think that there's a lot riding on the final shape. Well, they have a couple of months from now. I mean, June 2024, they have to. And here's the thing, is that the players really have to back it if they don't want (laughs) Bungie to lose their uh, independence. Whether they like it or not, they may have to uh, swallow their pride and just enjoy it and just say all good things that, you know, if, if just fake it, you know, just fake, fake emotions and, and make sure that Bungie stays independent because who knows what will happen if they don't. Yeah. It's going to be wild to see what happens with Bungie over, over the, over the course of this coming year. I think, uh, I think we could see them in a drastically different place by the end of the year. If, uh, if things work or don't. By the way, we have to talk about one other thing, um, and that is console futures. Um, There's a rumor about the PlayStation 5 Pro, and there's a rumor that Microsoft will be revealing their next console. Uh, So it's going to be interesting to see what's coming in the future there. I mean, when June rolls around, and that's when E3 no longer exists, but now it's still a time in which every every, uh, major console manufacturer does their little, uh, you know, their, their little shows to announce what's what the major news that's going to happen for the rest of the year. Look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news or gaming history articles. If you enjoy your feedback, leave us comments on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, hit us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us iTunes comments if we're still there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Charter Moore. And we will see you next week. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play games, y'all.